Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After the apocalypse... A Pandemic Survival Story, Season 2, Episode 13, Dead Man in a Chair. KJ felt her hand hit hard against something under the water. Not so much felt as sensed the impact. The cold water had numbed and sucked the sensation from her extremities. She swam on muscle memory now. She trusted her technique, long tuned by hours in the pool, to keep her afloat on the swollen river and move her forward to the far bank. Her only chance was to make it to the other side. Her lungs burned with effort as she worked hard. Her goal wasn't far away now as she lifted her head briefly to sight. She could see the dim outline of the shoreline just a pool's length away. It lay across the horizon, backlit by the setting sun, like a painter's angry brushstroke. She was fighting the current and trying hard to keep her core temperature up with her exertion. Her head ached with exposure to the cold water. She wished she had her swim cap. When they were kids, they would have called it a full brain freeze. Pull it together, Janet. She chided herself. You're losing it. Focus. She relaxed into a glide and let her feet sink slowly, feeling for the bottom. She felt something. Vaguely, she had bluntly sensed the rocks and mud by their consistency through her numbed feet. The current was still too strong, and she couldn't yet stand, but she was getting close. Janet put her head back down into the cold water, fighting off the pain, and pulled hard again for the bank. Close now, she could make it just a few more strokes. But she was tired, so tired. She had fought so hard for so long. She felt the fight being sucked out of her into the murky cold water. She stopped swimming. She couldn't kick. She couldn't lift her arms. It was just too far. She couldn't swim any further. She was done. She had a moment of animal panic, and the narrative in her head turned negative. I'm not going to make it. I tried but it's too much. Then an inner voice of acceptance took over. It's okay. I'll just close my eyes and rest here for a bit. It's okay. Janet dropped her head, let her legs sink and spread her arms in a dead man's float. Her arms and legs went limp. She started to fade out of consciousness. She saw the outlines of rounded rocks sticking out of the mud in the murky floor below. The approaching muck and silt stirred as she slowly gave up and sank into oblivion. The brown cloud took form and emerged into a familiar pattern. A face. Face began to take shape. 
the face of her dying mother. Her mother. Mom, I'm coming, Janet thought with a combination of fear and relief. The struggle was over now. She was going home. The face emerged from the muddy pail. The thin, gritty lips seemed to move, seemed to speak. Jane, you know you're the best of us, the best part of us. I love you, baby Jane. The words of her dead mother cut through her like an electric shock. Her head cleared for a moment. Janet spoke to herself in that moment of clarity. What are you doing, lady? Snap out of it. Wake up, Janet. You're not going to die here in this shit. Fight, damn it. Fight. And she thought of all the hard times she had pushed beyond herself, all the times she had thought she was done but had somehow pushed through. She remembered her mantra that had served well at the end of those long races when she wanted to quit. You are the warrior. And again with more feeling. You are the warrior. And again with all the anger in her soul. You are the warrior. K.J. lurched her head out of the water, gagging and spitting. She sucked in a lungful of cold, wet air and started to swim for the bank. Her numb hands thrashed frantically at the water, and she kicked the dead weight of her legs. She was startled to find her hands and feet tangled in the exposed roots and branches of a gnarled tree that had tipped into the water from the shore. She'd have to climb through that cat's cradle of branches, but she had reached the bank. You are the warrior, she repeated, as she clawed her way through the branches towards the bank. She grabbed handfuls of low brush, wrapping her numb arms around tree limbs like blunt hooks. She was so cold. She had heaved herself up, struggling like a trapped and wounded animal. K.J. rose out of the water and knew from experience that she'd have to be careful. Climbing onto shore after a hard effort, she would have poor equilibrium and little balance. She'd raced enough triathlons to know this. The bank was a brushy, rocky affair that rose steeply from the water's edge. K.J. tilted and stumbled to find her balance. Her foot found traction on an old tire half buried in the mud, and she hoped it wouldn't have bare steel belts sticking out of it like razor wire. The brush was bad, but the trash was worse. Not just the cans and bottles and cigarette butts that plague every city. The industrial edge of the river was like the city's sewer system. The bits and pieces and discarded crap of the city was flushed down the river to catch here. Rusty shopping carts, old bikes, pieces of cars, piles of discarded tires and the rusting hulks of old appliances. She'd have to be careful but quick. Two things that don't go well together. If she took her time, she might die from the hypothermia and exhaustion. If she rushed, she could carve open a bare hand or foot on a piece of jagged metal or glass. With her hands and feet numb, she wouldn't even feel it. She wanted so badly to rest. She hurt so badly, but she knew she had to get under cover. Her teeth chattered and her muscles spasmed uncontrollably. The edge of her vision started to get cloudy and close in, like staring down a dark, bloody tunnel. Janet muttered to herself through gritted teeth, barely audible, You are the warrior, and stumbled forward, away from the river.
She was having trouble seeing much in the twilight. Lumps and shapes emerged into her clouded tunnel vision. She stumbled and fell over them. She was having a hard time sorting the real shapes from the cluttered hallucinations that were crowding her mind from all sides. She saw movement, but when she tried to focus, it was just shadows in the bushes. Things seemed to dance like wraiths when she looked at them. Her head swam, and she was nauseous. She squinted to filter out the miasmas. There were buildings here, or what was left of buildings, brick and cement. She willed her legs to keep moving and wrapped her arms around her shivering body. You are the warrior. Janet's feet tangled in something, and she fell to the ground. Consciousness swam in and out. Lifting her head, she saw a pair of shoes. Someone was sitting in a chair here. How nice, she giggled, momentarily caught in a wave of hilarity as she phased in and out. She was losing it. She had to find cover. Janet pulled herself to her hands and knees and lifted her head slowly to come eye to eye with the stretched parchment of a corpse's face. Well, hello there, sir, she croaked through numbed lips. Was this even real? She didn't care. The tunnel was growing red at the edges now and closing in on her vision. She crawled forward on her hands and knees towards what looked like a door. Janet pulled herself inside and with the last of her strength and the last of her will burrowed into the pile of trash and cardboard boxes. Consciousness left her. Mags was stacking laundry on a folding table in the gym. They had rigged up a tub with soapy water to wash the clothes. They hung them to dry in the sun of the courtyard. It wasn't perfect, but the kids all had at least a change of clean clothes now. It smelled a little less like a barnyard and more like a school, now that the kids were washed up and in clean duds. Life's little victories in the apocalypse. Bella was singing singing, slowly going about at work and mindlessly singing some sweet tune. The kids were clustered around each other, reading from a stack of encyclopedias they had found. Timmy was pointing out the pictures to the little ones and talking confidently like he was the teacher. It was amazing how normal it all seemed. Mags, whose brain was always in planning mode, thought about how she would have to set up some rudimentary schooling if things kept going well. Humans had a capacity to normalize, even in the worst circumstances. They couldn't help themselves. The normal was always there trying to get out. Once they could be free of the hot breath and sharp teeth of the apocalypse, the teeth-gritting anxiety of being preyed upon, the nagging aches of hunger... Then they became humans again, family again. This was her family now. She smiled. Here they were in the midst of a dead world, peopled by soulless maniacs. But from looking at this scene, you'd think you'd stumbled on an Amish picnic. She shook her head and made a mental note of the scene. She saved it in her library of normal things that she could look back on when she needed it. The only outlier in this image of normalcy was Willie. Willie stood in the shadows looking out a window. She gave off a sense of tension even though her posture was relaxed. 
Mags thought to herself, that girl is skittish. She'd been through some stuff. She can't let her guard down. She can't let it go. But I'll give her space. I'll give her time. She'll come around. Then Mags thought she heard something. There was a sound of a dog barking. All heads turned to look towards a source of the noise, like a herd of gazelles seeing a lion twitch in the tall grass of the savanna. The mood shifted in a snap to tension and fear. Out front by one of the exit doors, a dog was barking. But it wasn't just any bark. Mags recognized the short, descriptive barks of Bill the Dog. As a group, they moved a rush towards the noise. Mags held them back with the finger to her lips for silence, and a hand raised to stop. She motioned Willie to come with her, and Bella to take the rest and prepare to flee. They had drilled on this. If someone came to the front, they were to go out the back. Bella nodded her head in serious silence. She turned and herded the kids towards the back. They grabbed the backpacks that were prepped and ready for this moment and staged by the exit. Mags felt a pang of personal sadness as a normalcy of children and routine was quickly transformed by the strictures of survival. Mags and Willie approached the window that had been pre-selected as the safest observation point and carefully scanned the grounds outside. Bill the dog was standing, looking agitated, barking that short warning bark of his. After each bark, he'd pause and cock his head to listen at the door. He lifted his big shaggy head as if concentrating, looked up at the window they were in, and barked again. The dog didn't seem to have any company. Mags didn't see any other threat. But where was the old man? And Brad? Jesus! Mags told Willie to stay put at the observation point and went to let the dog in. Bill was glad to see her, but anxious. He hesitated to come into the school. He circled, looking back and whining. I get it, Bill, Mag said reassuringly. Good dog. Come on in now. Mag saw the change in their faces. Just like that, the human mood had been washed from them. The worry lines returned, and there was a gloomy silence. No talking. No singing and all eyes were on her and the dog. It still amazed her how easy that shift could happen now. People were growing accustomed to the daily whiplash of the apocalypse. That wasn't a good thing. It damaged people. She'd seen it, especially the young. It became a habit, and they could never find true peace even after the danger was well past. It became part of them, like a corrosion of their souls, a dark infection that never quite went away. Bill the dog ate some food and drank water, but he constantly returned to the door, whining and circling. He may not have been able to talk, but the message he was sending seemed clear. Mags confirmed with Bella and Willie out of earshot of the kids. If the old man was here, he'd be making a lassie joke. Mag smiled, trying to break the tension that had erupted at the dog's arrival. No one smiled. For that matter, would either of these two even know who Lassie was? She let the attempt at lightening the mood lay where it had fallen. Look, she continued, it seems likely that something has happened to the old man and Brad, she hurried to add. 
We don't know what. All we know that the dog came back without them, and he's clearly agitated. But let's not jump to any conclusions. What can we do? Bella asked. Mags was used to having hard conversations. She laid it out for them. We can either stay here, go somewhere else, or follow the dog. Now was not the time for equivocating. Leadership required directness. She continued, Look, we don't know what happened to them. They could have been shot. They could have fallen down a well. They could have been captured. We just don't know. Should we go after them? Bella asked. They might need us. Mags noticed that Willie winced a bit at this moment. The girl seemed more withdrawn and pensive than ever. What am I going to do? Mags wondered. There's no good answer here. I'm going to have to go with my gut. She spoke, trying to sound confident and official. Willie and I will take the dog and go see what we can find. Mag stuffed some packaged food into the bottom of a camo backpack. She added some socks and change of clothes, enough for a few days, enough in case the weather went to hell again. She finished packing with a few bottles of water and hefted the backpack. Jesus, I'm getting too old for this. She unwrapped the rifle from the old towel she had hid it in. She didn't want the kids to accidentally get into it. Mags considered the rifle. She didn't particularly like guns. When people had guns, people inevitably got killed. She had hoped she could avoid having to deal with any more guns when she gave the M4 back to the Army after her tour. But if she had learned anything in the last couple of weeks, it was that times were different now, and she had to wake up to the kill-or-be-killed nature of this world. It wasn't hard to find a rifle in this part of the world. It took only a cursory search of a few of the local houses to find what she needed. The corpses in that house didn't seem to need it anymore. Seemed like those people had been ready for an apocalypse, but being armed hadn't protected them from the virus. And so she'd become the second-hand owner of a well-maintained Smith & Wesson M&P 1522 sport rimfire rifle with a decent aftermarket scope, light and easy-to-find ammo for. It wouldn't stop an elephant, but it would discourage assholes. Twenty-five twenty-two caliber long rifle rounds in the magazine and an extra box in the backpack. God help me. Mag sighed and slung the rifle over her shoulder and looked around for Willie. Where was she? Bella didn't know. None of the kids had seen her either. Slowly, it dawned on Mag's. Willie was gone. It wasn't her fight. Those people weren't her family. She didn't need them. She had been doing just fine on her own before that kid and the dog stumbled out of the river. They weren't her family, and she wasn't going to risk her skin on them. They weren't even like her. The only vaguely person of color in the whole bunch was that Latino woman. In the old world, they wouldn't have even seen her as they drove by her neighborhood, driving 80 miles an hour on 285 on their way to the airport in their minivans. They were nice enough now, but she didn't owe them anything. I'm better off on my own. Willie slid silently through the shadows of the apocalypse and back to the safety of her hideout. 
when that sturdy, older woman started talking about going on a rescue mission, Willie knew she was tapping out. She did what she did best. She melted away. She disappeared. She wasn't afraid of a fight. She'd been in plenty of fights, but when that woman just assumed that she was part of their world, part of their family, that started alarm bells ringing. Willie had learned early in her life to be wary of smiling adults who thought they knew what was best for her. Only she knew what was best for her. Still, there was a nagging pang of guilt, just a small spark of guilt somewhere deep in her heart. They needed her, especially with all those kids and all. But it wasn't her fight, and she couldn't risk becoming attached, becoming burdened by the weight of familiarity. They weren't her problem. Willie made her way back down the riverbank to the industrial wastes that were her territory, that were her safety and her home, where she could fade away and take care of herself. She approached her hideout carefully. She paused a long while, concealed in the brush, watching. In her young life, she had learned the value of patience, of stillness, and of not rushing in. Old Joe was still sitting in his long chair, parchment brown skin pulled back from his mouth in a leering, open-mouthed grin. It reminded her of those pictures of Egyptian mummies in the library. Four thousand years dead and still grimacing. Willie couldn't put her finger on it, but something wasn't quite right. She sensed something. Nothing seemed out of place, but something felt odd. She shook her head. Glad I got away from those people when I did. I'm starting to turn paranoid. Well, can't sit out here all night. She steeled her nerves and snuck forward, past the dead man in the chair, and towards her hideout's door in the old mill. Willie let the blade slip into her hand and peered around the corner of the door from a crouch. As her eyes adjusted to the darkness, she could see that someone had been here. The boxes and rubbish had been shifted. There was a sound from the back, and she froze. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my survivor friends. Nice to see you all again this week. Although some of you look like you haven't slept a 
good night in, in weeks. What's up with that? That's the apocalypse. That's what the apocalypse does to you. So we have followed our survivors, our little group of survivors here, through week 13, episode 13 of season 2. And for those of you time traveling in from the future, it is uh, around the Ides of February 2022. The days are getting longer up here where I live, but it's still a bit oppressive with the freezing temperatures and the ice and the snow and the darkness. Winter's hanging on. And that pending approach of spring, I think I think that makes it worse, right? Because you, you get teased. You can see the warm green fingers of spring just over the horizon. The birds are chirping in the morning, building their nests, singing. But the winter clings on like a cold, angry guest who just won't take the hint and leave. And I've been focusing on, not really focusing on, but practicing my morning routine this month. We were talking about morning routines in the Facebook group. To make sure I get my head right before the day starts, I focus on my morning. And this helps with the creeping isolation we all start to feel in the pandemic. But I loosely follow a process introduced to me by an author whose name is Hal Elrod, and he wrote a book called The Miracle Morning. And I loosely follow that. It's a good, it's a good reminder. You should, uh, you should check it out. Links in the show notes. And that's a bit of the answer to the question that I get sometimes, which is, how do I get things done when I have a full-time job and a lot of hobbies? A lot of it happens in the morning. Some of it happens in the morning. But I don't get up particularly early. I tried that. I get up at 6 a.m.-ish. I've tried that get up earlier to make more time, but I found that it just leads to sleep deprivation. And the answer, at least for me, has never been found in sacrificing sleep. I need my sleep. And in my current role, the people I'm dealing with are mostly in central time, which is good because they're an hour behind me, and that gives me a couple hours to get my head straight in the morning before the meetings start dropping in. So I can do a little reading, a little writing, some meditation, that sort of thing. And the surprising thing is it really doesn't take much time to get a lot done if you're consistent. Even if you're only hitting a 10 or a 20 minutes a day slot, if you do it when you're focused and fresh in the morning, you can accumulate a lot of progress. So it's not a secret. And the miracle morning that I mentioned, it's just one manifestation of an age-old practice. Uh, Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics wrote about the importance of the morning. And most people who we would call successful uh, have a morning routine of some sort. And one of my favorite questions when I do presentations and stuff is, why do they care? Why do you care? And you can ask yourself this question when you're creating presentations, preparing for meetings, or even writing a story. Why do they care? And the why do you care for morning routines is if you want to create something, like do your own story, your own podcast, but, quote, just don't have the time, this is how you do it. Just dedicate a time block every morning. Don't worry about, don't worry so much about the content, right? People worry about the content, but once you start doing it, that takes care of itself once you commit to the consistency. So that's why you care about morning routines. And I bet Mike, Mike Darling has a morning routine. I bet he does. And yes, this is a special call out to our 
survivor friend Mike Darling, who you can say hi to on our Facebook group. Mike is heavily involved in Wasteland Weekend, and we talked on his podcast to that audience last year between between seasons, if you remember that. And Mike has a new project going that you might be less interested in because it involves a new podcast he's doing or, or a new flavor of his podcast he's doing where they are producing narratives around the different tribes that roam the wasteland. So I'll drop a clip in here and I'll drop the links in here and you can go go check out Mike's stories if you're looking for a audio on your on your podcasty listening devices. The wastes can be a lonely, dangerous place. Some people survive by staying alone, keeping a low profile. Others form or join tribes staking out their claim to a bit of land, relying on safety in numbers and repelling all threats to their strongholds. Schofield's drifters, much as how they do everything, take a different path. Claiming no territory, they wander where their interests and missions take them. Sometimes alone, sometimes in small groups. Sometimes in larger groups, but never all together at one time or in one place. No one is quite sure how many there are, but wherever one of them appears to be vulnerable or in trouble, it always seems like backup is there in the nick of time. The only place where you're guaranteed to see them in any numbers is the annual Great Gathering at Wasteland City. Even at this ostensibly neutral trading and celebratory week-long meeting, with thousands of Wastelanders coming together to barter, negotiate, trade stories, eat and drink whatever others have found through the year of scavenging, and simply rejoice in surviving another year after the apocalypse. Only an ever-changing subset of the Drifters comes each time. Led by Doc Schofield, one of the few people who remember the time before the fall, and Captain Digits, the Drifters provide protection services, broker information, collect, and trade unusual elixirs and tinctures found and refined by their medicinalist, Sutler, and trade technical artifacts. While that last bit is indeed true, and Schofield's Drifters has acquired a reputation for buying and selling valuable relics from the before times, there is one particular item of interest, which only a few members are aware of. That is the Touchstone device, an energy source that Doc believes was developed by the military scientist who was both Doc's mentor and Digit's grandfather. But even when the fate of the world is looking you in the eyes, you still have to figure out how to score your next meal. And our own Apocalypse After the Apocalypse story is doing well. I've been too busy to do any marketing, but we're still growing organically. We're approaching around 13,000 downloads a month, and we've got about 108 people in our Facebook group last time I checked. Not bad for mornings and weekends, right? <laughs> and I appreciate the sport, and I hope you're all enjoying yourself. So what am I reading? We're also talking about what we're reading on the Facebook group as well. Well, you know what? When I'm thinking about it, I usually have two or three or four or five books going at a time. Probably, <laughs> that's probably a commentary on my attention span. Uh, for general interest, I am finishing up a book called The Untethered Soul, which is sort of a philosophy book, really great book, to, and is a great book to read as part of your morning routine, because it's not something that you can read like as a story. You have to read little bits of it and then think about it. 
And then I'm also reading a business book called Indistractable or Undistractable, which is about how to focus and get things done uh, when you don't have enough time. It's, it's pretty lightweight, but it's got some good tips in there. And another thing, this is an interesting story. I had this small book about medieval Christian mysticism called The Cloud of Unknowing. It showed up at my house. And I didn't order it, and no one else will admit to ordering it for me. So every once, I'll, every once in a while, I'll dip into that. Uh, but my main, you know, sort of fun reading is on the science fiction front. And I bought the first three books of the Expanse series. Why? Because I finished watching it on Amazon, the Expanse season six this week. And I, I really liked this series. I really liked it. And I'm going to see if I like the books. It's the type of hard, spacey science fiction that is squarely in my I-like-it zone. So I'm going to read the books. We have been talking about favorite books and series, like I said, and, and movies and that sort of thing over on the Facebook group. And I'll attach all the links, Facebook group, the podcast page, Acast, the Amazon Vela version of Season 1, the Patreon page, the T Public merchandise page, I will put all that here in the show notes at the end of the show notes. And so do us a favor, go and like the podcast, leave a review, forward it to a friend so we can all keep surviving. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.